0: Philippians three twelve through sixteen reads this way The message press on. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on Philippians three twelve so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 15. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained." Heavenly Father, thank you for your living word. This is the word of God, profitable for all of us, powerful, searching, beautiful as it nourishes the soul, challenging as it exhorts us to love and good deeds. We're grateful to sit before it, to hear the counsel from the God of the word. May your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, Father. We know it is. May it encourage us and nourish our souls. May it be manna for today. May it be a a word spoken in due season to bring encouragement to your people. May you draw every one of us closer to you and those who don't know you for the first time to come to know you. We lay everything at your feet, Father. May your will be done. In Christ's name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Hey, by the way, just a couple of uh, quick things to pray over Uh, A young lady named Brianna, who's the granddaughter of a precious couple, part of our church family, has gone off to Ukraine with a team to deliver supplies to that war-torn area, a very dangerous area. Her name is Brianna, going with the team from her home fellowship. Um, So we're going to pray for Brianna, and then I just want to let you know really quick that Bill and Shirley White, Shirley oversees our uh, sweet fellowship, and uh, Bill does a, a Bunch of different ministries. Precious couple in this fellowship. They're in a motorcycle accident, and Shirley's in a coma right now and has some bleeding on her brain, and uh, it's it's a pretty serious situation for Shirley. Bill's okay. I mean, he's got some road rash and he's beat up a little bit, but our prayers need to go towards Shirley. So let's pray for both of those, Father, for Brianna and that team. We want to ask that you would just give traveling mercy uh, to and from Ukraine and wherever they're going to be, Lord. Please protect them as they reach out with the love of Jesus to those who are hurting. We pray that people will see their good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven, that it would be a light to those who feel like they're in darkness. Please just surround that team. Uh, They're they're walking into some, you know, very dangerous situations, and I just pray that you would be uh, just putting a hedge about them at every turn, Lord. Bless them with blessings unexpected and just beautiful fruit from this trip, in Jesus' name. And then, Lord, for Bill and Shirley, we just pray. Lord, this is a difficult situation, but we're going to just pray in faith with one heart for healing for Shirley right now. Please just heal her brain. Heal whatever needs a touch. We know that she, her ribs and her pelvis have been affected. And we're just asking for your mercy in the name of Jesus to flow out in healing. We believe, Lord, and we're asking for your mercy. And then for any unspoken prayer requests in this room related to health or whatever it may be, I ask that you'd extend your hand and mercifully touch your people today. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Well, today we're privileged to have uh, a famous text before us, Philippians three, twelve through 16. And Paul uses an uh, athletic metaphor to drive his point home today. A metaphor or an illustration from sports. Now when Paul uses sports illustrations, he is speaking my language. I don't know if he's speaking your language, but he is speaking mine. Now back in the day when the Apostle Paul was alive on the planet, of course he's since gone home to be with the Lord, they held the Olympic Games. They began in Greece, as many of you know. And then there were some variations in different cities of the games in different places. Many scholars believe that two possibilities exist for the metaphor that Paul uses in the text. One is the possibility of a chariot race. So back in the day, they had these chariot racers, racers, where they would go around the track, etc. But most scholars agree that Paul is picking up a metaphor from running. And this would be the idea of running either a sprint or a marathon. Most of you have heard in your Christian life that the Christian life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And of course, they would have different uh, lengths of races, just like we have today in the Olympic Games. You know, it could be a shorter race. It could be a marathon. And most agree, there's no doubt that Paul's using a sports metaphor, but most agree it comes from the world of running. Now in our day and age, we might think of illustrations from football, basketball, baseball, track and field, whatever it may be. And for me, there's a play in NFL history that captures a, the kind of moment that I think Paul's after in our text. It's Super Bowl 43. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers against the St. Louis Cardinals. And here's the play. It's just 30 seconds. But I think you'll find it kind of cool. I did. Then came the most fateful moment of Super Bowl 43. 18 seconds left of the second quarter. First and goal, Arizona at the two yard line. Steelers show blitz. He throws the pass up. It's going to be picked up. James Harrison in! And all God's people said, okay, whatever you want to say. Now, I don't normally play clips in my sermons, but I was inspired. Now, I will say this that was a turning point in Super Bowl 43. The Cardinals were threatening, that was a 100 yard interception return. With no time left on the clock in the second quarter, it kind of turned the whole game around for the Steelers. Some of you have heard Kurt Warner's story, which I think they just made a movie about Kurt Warner's story. He's a committed believer. Did you see Kurt Warner get smashed by the Steelers as they were returning that? And I love Kurt Warner, but there I was rejoicing that Kurt Warner was not able to make that tackle. Uh, if you can't tell, I am a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. But anyway, thank you. So (laughs) there's some booze over here. I knew this was going to divide the church, but anyway. (laughs) Now, I I played that so you could know that the Apostle Paul appears to be a sports fan, and I know that there's a lot of not so great stuff happening in sports today, and I'm just going to say that you'll have to follow your conscience in terms of what you view and why you view it, but Paul was a sports fan, And he used, at least on three or four occasions, sports metaphors. And sports metaphors do have value because they do speak of individual accomplishment, perseverance, teamwork, things like that. They do give us some insights into spiritual life. And we all need all the help we can get. And Paul does use that here, and here's what he's kind of piggybacking on. He's just said in Philippians 3.10, his goal in life is that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection or to the resurrection from the dead. Now, when we were together a few weeks ago and we looked at this text, I told you that Paul may be saying that I want to live in such a way that the resurrection life that's already in me by the power of the Spirit, I would stand up in my culture and show who I am and where I'm headed. I haven't attained the resurrection yet. I'm not in the eternal state, I'm, I'm not resurrected yet, but that is my ultimate goal. But as I live on the earth, Paul might say, I want my life to be anticipating that day when I cross the finish line and when I hear my Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. So I want my life to match who I am and my destiny, you might say. And I believe this is what Paul is after. But you probably notice in verse 12 that he said, but not that I have already obtained it. He's still speaking now of the resurrection from the dead. Or have already become perfect, but I press on, and there's our title. I have not already obtained it. Now, at this point, in my calculations, Paul's been a Christian for 30 years. Paul's not talking about his salvation. We can't attain salvation. We don't work for salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. And the Lord Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus and, of course, radically saved him. So Paul's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about the goal of living his life in the resurrection power of Christ and even in the fellowship of his sufferings. And then one day reaching the finish line and hearing those words that we all desire to hear, well done. This is my goal, says Paul. I want to know him. I want to know his power. I want to know his fellowship. And then all of a sudden it's a, it's a sports metaphor to drive the point home. We might ask Paul, well, okay, if you haven't attained that goal, and you're the Apostle Paul, how do you get there? What does it look like to live a life knowing him, and experiencing his power, and running well? And Paul might say, well, let me give you an illustration from sports. Let me give you an illustration from the world of running. If you turn back in your Bible just for a second to 1 Corinthians, just a few pages back, you'll find 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter. Paul says, I haven't become perfect in Philippians 3.12. The word perfect, this is a key if you're taking notes today, is teleao in Greek. And when you look up the word in Greek lexicons, it just simply means mature, finished, complete, and Paul says, I haven't yet arrived. I haven't gotten to the finish line yet. In 1 Corinthians 13, right after Paul talks about all these beautiful uh, realities of love, he says in verse 8, love never fails. 1 Corinthians thirteen eight. If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Verse 10. But when the perfect comes. Now that's the same word there. When the perfect comes, then the partial will be done away. We might ask the question, well, when will these gifts cease, says Paul. He says, when the perfect comes. Notice, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Now notice the contrast. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face, in the perfect state. Now I know in part, as I live this life and run this race, then I will know fully, in the perfect state, just as I also have been fully known. Now faith, hope, love, abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And then Paul will say, pursue love. Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. There's still stuff to pursue, like love, like godliness, like hospitality. And there's many other gifts that you will see. Paul will say, flee these things. Pursue these things. And here is what Paul is talking about. He's saying, even though you are saved by grace through faith, and it's not a result of works, there are things still to flee from, and things still to pursue. And right back we go to the sports metaphor things to run after, like love and godliness and character and all of these things. And Paul is getting at this in 1 Corinthians 13. When will we finally arrive? When will we be perfect at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? When we are resurrected in glorified bodies. Amen? We've experienced salvation. We're going through a process of sanctification. One day we will reach the place of glorification. Those are the three tenses of salvation. We're saved. we you could say also we're being saved. We are being sanctified. And one day when we hit the finish line, we will be glorified. We haven't arrived yet. Paul might say to, yeah, I've got an amen over here. That's good. We haven't arrived yet, right? We haven't reached the destination yet, but we are running the race. With an eye on the finish line. We are running the race with an eye on the prize. Any good runner will tell you you gotta keep your head up when you're running. You gotta not look backwards, because that'll break your rhythm. You need to get a good pace going and keep your eyes ahead. Some years ago, I did some running. Today, I cannot run, my knees are shot. But many days ago, I took up some running, and when I first started running, I couldn't go very far. But once I got going, I could run several miles. I ran. I had a little uh, course. Or we, when we lived in Orange, I would go up a couple hills, down a couple hills. And my uh, stamina increased the more I trained. The more I ran, the stronger I became. And I think this is what Paul is getting at. The more you run this race, the more you face obstacles. I, I, I remember running and, and everything in my humanity was like, shut it down and go have a donut. Can I get a witness? Anybody? What are you doing? Running. Who thought of such a thing? Up a hill. Down a hill. Come on. Shut it down. And there's thresholds as an athlete, and marathon runners will tell you this, where everything in your body says stop, give up, do something else. But you pass through thresholds and fresh uh, doses of endorphins will come into your body and you'll able to keep, you'll be able to keep going. And this is the reality in sports. And this is the reality in spiritual life. Every time we feel like we have nothing more to give, fresh power from the Holy Spirit comes in. Amen? And we keep running. we got to keep on running with our eyes on the goal. This is the key. Now, flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews also picking up a sports uh, illustration, and he uh, goes into the world of running again. And right after he deals with this great hall of faith, as we often call it. All these people who went before us, like Abraham and Moses and David, and ran the race, and had their ups and downs, and finished the race with endurance. We need to do the same. We need to keep them in mind. In Hebrews 12, the writer says, therefore, after mentioning several heroes of the Old Testament, he says, since we have, Hebrews 12, 1, so great a cloud of witnesses, who have already run, is the idea, surrounding us, almost like they're in the stadium, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What's the key? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author. He started it all. He who began a good work in you. Philippians 1.6 will complete it until the day of Christ. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. You know what that word perfecter is? The same Greek root teliao. The one who started it is the one who is going to finish it. The author is the perfecter. Amen. What's the key then? To keep your eyes on Jesus. And the Greek here is interesting because it means to look away from other things that distract and re-fix your gaze on Jesus. Now let me just make a practical point right here. If, and look in the race, there's all kinds of distractions, obstacles, sin, all these things that face us and weigh us down. And sometimes we get distracted and sometimes we start looking around and it's like, I don't know if I can finish. I don't know where I should be looking. We're in a, such a, a torn up world. What do we do now? And the idea of the writer here is to say, you fix your gaze on Jesus. Now, if you turn back to Philippians chapter 3, I want to share a story uh, that comes from a commentary. And this is from R. Kent Hughes on Philippians. And he writes these words. The year was 1923, and the competing track teams of Scotland and France were neck and neck. But among the events remaining was the 440. As the runners clad in traditional 1920s white, came to the first turn. They were bunched tight, shoulder to shoulder, when one of them was pushed to the ground and off the track. For a second he was down, then up again, running, though 20 meters now behind the pack, his knees high, his head back, flying. And as the leader sprinted towards the finish line, he emerged ahead to win. It was a famous win, immortalized in the movie Chariots of Fire. The runner? Eric Little, known as the Flying Scotsman. He was already famous when he made his phenomenal comeback to win the 440 in the Scotland, France meet. As his fame increased as a runner and as a Christian, especially at the Paris Olympics in 1924, where he refused to run in his best events, the 100 meters and the 4x100 relay, because they were run on a Sunday. Chariots of Fire, the movie, inaccurately portrays this as a last-minute decision in Paris. Whereas, actually, Little decided well in advance and began to train for the 200 and the 400, which were not his best events because he knew he wasn't going to run on the Sunday. Little took a bronze in the 200 and amazed the world by winning the 400 in a world record time of 47.6 seconds. Five meters ahead of the silver medalist, he was truly flying, and we know that he was actually pushed at one point in the race. Runner he was, but that wasn't, that was only one manifestation of Eric Little's devotion to Christ. In 1925, having completed his degree in science at Edinburgh and a degree in divinity, he set sail as a missionary to China with the China Inland Mission. In 1932, during his first furlough, he married a woman named Florence McKenzie. In 1941, facing the growing threat of Japanese occupation, he sent his wife and three daughters to Canada to stay with their family, while he stayed on to serve among the poor. Little suffered many hardships, but he kept running after Christ hard. And then in 1943, he was interned in the Waisian internment camp, where he again, cheerfully served those around him. In 1945, at the age of 43, Eric Little died of a brain tumor that may have been caused by his malnourishment and overwork in that camp. Little's grave was marked by a simple wooden cross with his name written in boot polish. He's interned in the Mausoleum of Martyrs in China. And then this is what Hughes says, I don't know what the inscription says on the grave marker, but if I were to imagine one, it would be this. He died running. He died running. I don't know where you're at today with your walk or your run. I don't know what challenges have faced you in the last couple of weeks or couple of months or couple of years, but Paul is writing Philippians 3 from jail. He's not on some ivory tower or stretching His muscles on the racetrack or got front row seats to the games. He's in jail, brethren. And he says to the church at Philippi, you keep running. You press on, no matter what you're facing. And if you read a little history about Paul, people say he had issues with his eyes. He had problems with his legs. He had... um, Challenges from a thorn in his flesh. We're not even sure what that was. Constantly beat up facing robbers and rivers and, uh, you know, brethren that gave him a hard time. And even churches that questioned his appearance. They said, oh, he writes strong in his letters, but when he shows up in town, he's not very impressive. He's not a good speaker. This is what the Apostle Paul faced. And what does he say to the Philippian church? Don't you lose heart don't you quit running. You keep on pursuing the things that make for peace, Romans 14, 9. For love, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. For righteousness, godliness, faith, perseverance, gentleness, 1 Timothy 6, 11. And even for sanctification, Hebrews 12, 14. You keep running. Not that I've already obtained it, Philippians 3, 12. I'm not there yet. I have not become or have already become perfect. I haven't reached the finish line. Paul says. And nor have you. A righteous man may fall seven times in a day. A righteous woman. But you keep getting up. You don't give up. And this is where the athletic sports metaphor really drives the point home. Because I've seen a lot of amazing things happen. I saw a girl in a softball game, a championship game, hit a home run to win the game And as she was celebrating, going around first base, twisted her knee and couldn't go around the bases the rest of the way. And the rules said if she can't touch each base, her home run doesn't count. And you know what happened? The other team, the girls on the other team, picked her up and carried her around the bases so she could touch each base and cost them the game, but showed her the love of God. This is our call. If people are wounded on the track, if people are hurting around us, we do the best we can. If we're hurting, we say, let's, let's pursue. Let's keep on pursuing the finish line. We haven't attained yet, but we know the Lord is on our side. And so I keep running. I press on middle of 12. The idea is I pursue with all deliberate speed, in order that I may lay hold of, take eagerly, possess, is the original language, that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. F.F. F. Bruce, the great Greek scholar, says, it is almost equivalent to a purpose clause, this verse 12, and may be paraphrased, I still press on so as to lay hold of. Not only am I running, but I'm running after something with deliberate speed to grab hold of the prize. Way back in 2002, we had a family from our church over at our home. We're celebrating Shane's birthday. So this is 20 years ago. The kids were little. We had fellowshiped in the backyard, and everybody kind of moved to the front yard. And we live on, a, on on kind of a hill, and I don't know what the exact angle is, but it goes down pretty steep, and then it kind of turns around the corner. And if you were on a bike or a skateboard, and you wanted to get going, you would pick up some speed pretty quickly. So the boys were young, and we had friends over, and we were leaning against a car parked in front of our house, just talking with the adults. And the kids were going up the sidewalk, and they would go past the neighbor's mailbox, and they were coming down on skateboards and bikes and stuff like that. And they were using their Sneakers to kind of, you know, you could see them smoking right there, slowing themselves down, and then they would tumble into our front grass. And we have some junipers there, and sometimes they would hit the bushes, but they're little kids, you know, it didn't matter. Something in their teeth, it didn't really matter. So, anyway, but Nathan, who's back on the sound booth right now, was five years old, and he had just graduated to a bicycle with training wheels. And he wanted to keep up with the bigger kids, so he went up extra high. And he was just getting used to the bike, and he, he's very talented. He could get on a scooter and ride it, you know, almost immediately. He's still gifted that way today. Great natural athlete. But this time, for whatever reason, Nathan would tell you that he froze. He forgot how to use the brakes on the bicycle. And so as Nathan was coming down there, the kids were all coming down there, and they were screaming, they were falling. We heard a different type of scream. <laughs> it was more like this, Aah! It was a scream of terror as Nathan forgot how to stop the bicycle. Well my heart began to pound and I realized, you know, this little kid doesn't know how to stop this bike. And he's going to keep picking up speed because of the way that our street is. And it's going to go on for a good half a mile (laughs) or something like this. And he's going to crash. And this is going to be ugly. And he's got a little bike helmet on, but who knows. And so Pastor Michael sprung into action. How many of you can remember the $6 million man? This will date us all. But all of a sudden, ( astronauts) Pastor Michael began running. And the handlebars were shaking. He was (laughs) And so I realized he was picking up speed, and he was getting away from me. And I had like a shot, like one shot. And the handlebars are shaking. And I reached out. He had this little tank top on. And I reached out. I got some of his skin as well. And I had run after him for a good ways. And I pulled him off the bike, almost like a yo-yo. And he was like ding, 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 ding. And the bike crashed, I think, right next to the mailbox. And I had him in my arms. And I was like, oh, Thank you. I had like one shot because he was getting away from me. And I had him in my arms. And then I realized how many injuries I had. You know, when the adrenaline is rushing and your eyes are fixed on a goal, it doesn't matter what happens to you, right? Oh, I had so many injuries. I had him in my arms. And I tried to walk back up the hill and I was going kind of like this. And it was 20 years ago. Now, if it happened today, I would have just gone like this. Oh, well. <laughs> I know all things are possible with God, but I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) You say, Pastor Michael, why do you bring up that illustration? For this reason. I was going to preach that text the next Sunday. I'm not saying that God caused the, but he gave me an illustration, and I think it's actually right to the point. You run in such a way that everything else fades into the background. And your singular goal. My singular goal was to save that kid. I didn't care what happened to me. I just knew I needed to run that bike down and pull him off. And by God's grace it happened. That's the way you need to live your Christian life. And Paul says, I remember on the road to Damascus when I was pursuing Christians in the same way that I'm supposed to pursue Christ and I ran them down to foreign cities. I got letters from the chief priest, and I said, I will stop those Christians. And I pursued them, and I grabbed men and women alike, and I threw them into prison. That was my passion in my B.C. days. Now I pursue a different kind of prize. I've become all things to all men, that by means of that I may win some. Amen? I have a different kind of race to run. And some of you, you know, you can think back to the moment when you got saved and a redirect happened in your life. Paul says, look, I haven't arrived, but I'm pressing on. I got a different mission to run. My goal is to win the prize. Acts 26.11, if you're interested, here's what Paul said about pursuing. Same Greek word as Philippians 3.12. He says, I punished them often in all the synagogues. Acts 26.11. I tried to force them to blaspheme. He's talking about Christians. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them. Same Greek word as Philippians 3.12. Even to foreign cities. When I be, first... Uh, was a Christian and I had not become a full-time pastor. I was still in the business world and I had gone on a business trip to Arizona. I was flying back to Southern California and I was on a plane and I, I would often pray, Lord, you know, if you've got someone for me to share the gospel with, please use me. I, I want to win people to Christ. And I was on a plane, but I have to admit I was tired and I wasn't feeling very spiritual. It was the end of a long day. I was flying back home and I kind of I had a window seat and I just was like, Lord. I just want to sleep. Please let people sit next to me who are quiet. Something like that. <laughs> and a mother and a son, the son sat next to me. He looked like he was about 15 years old. And the the mom was on this side. And I was against the window. And I thought, oh, I should probably be social. After all, I am a Christian. And uh, so I got up. And I I had an old laptop. I put it on my lap. And I started doing a little bit of work. And I had the kid's interest. And he looked over. And he was like, oh, that's pretty cool. He goes, here's the, here's the key question, can you play games on that? And I was like, oh yeah, you can play different kinds of games. And I said, what's your name? And we went back and forth a little bit and uh, turned out the kid played drums and I was the drummer on the worship team way back in the day. And uh, we had a connection. And as I found out more, I noticed that the mom was beaming her smile and she began to lift off the seat in the airplane just a little bit. She was so happy. Well, here's what happened. The kid was on his way to a Christian camp. He had been struggling with drugs and alcohol. And mom was using a last-ditch effort in this Christian camp to try to turn his life around. And of all the places that they could have sat on a plane, and all the moments that they could have taken a flight, the Lord sat them right next to a pastor who played drums like this young man, who had some cool technology that interested him, and had come out of a life of partying and I knew what it was like to go that direction and for about the next 45 minutes I began to pour into this young man and the mom raised higher and higher on that seat she was like (laughs) and afterwards she she shared with me how she saw that as a miracle I wasn't even feeling too spiritual to be honest with you (laughs) And the Lord used that as a moment. And I just want to tell you this. As you run your race, you just never know what the Lord has divinely set up. And you can just simply minister to someone. And I I believe that that young man's life was changed that day because he knew that there was a God who cared about him. And I was flying high that day just because I saw the graciousness of my God in my life. I could say a lot to you about Paul and what he pursued prior to Christ, but I think most of you know. And here's what he says in verse 13. He says, Brethren, I don't regard or consider myself as having laid hold of it yet. Philippians 3.13. But one thing I do. If you have a King James, it says, this one thing I do. The Greek literally is one thing. And I love that because it keeps it simple. The one thing that Paul does in the race has two components forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now continuing with the sports metaphor, Paul says, you gotta forget what's behind you. Now what does Paul mean? Well he kind of has the idea of selective amnesia in mind. Now let me go back to athletics. A quarterback has to have a short memory. If you throw an interception, you could be devastated that you let your team down. But you have to have a short memory because you're going to go back out and try to lead your team on the next uh, you know, set of downs. How about a golfer? A golfer hits one in the water. Well, there's no one you can look to as a golfer. You either got to figure it out or you're not going to make it. We can go to anything. Baseball player strikes out twice, comes up in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded. You're going to think about all those strikeouts or take this as a new at bat. You guys get it? I mean, I could go on and on with many different illustrations, but the point remains the same. You've got to forget former failures. Look, your sins were paid for in full at the cross. I've got stuff, you've got stuff that breaks my heart from my past. Things that I did, ways I've treated people, decisions I made, but those were nailed to, with uh, Jesus at the cross. Amen? God's no longer counting my sins against me. When He sees me, He sees me through the righteousness of His Son. Praise the Lord. So I can forget that. Now I haven't completely forgotten my past. And when Paul does bring his past up in the New Testament, by the way he does, he always uses it as an opportunity to share about the grace of God. He says in 1 Timothy 1, I used to be like this. I was a violent aggressor. I had an anger problem. But I'm the chief of sinners. But God saved me to demonstrate His perfect patience. When he speaks to governors and kings and the Jewish brethren, he said, Brethren, I used to be this way. When Stephen was being stoned, I threw the black pebble. I said yes, he should die. Paul had regrets. And he wasn't afraid to revisit his past if It was an opportunity to celebrate the grace of God. Amen? So when I share my testimony, I will often say, sometimes to people's surprise, I was not born a pastor. I didn't roll a pulpit out into the living room at two years old. Open to the book of Genesis. No. I have known life without Christ. I have known life without a goal without Him in my life. And if I'm going to talk about my past, that's what I try to stick on. To celebrate the grace of God in my life. Amen? Now there are, there's some value to revisiting the past if you can see the grace of God or what God's done for you. Maybe some forgiveness needs to happen. There's some value in that. And I think Paul's even talking about his past accomplishments outside of Christ whatever was gained to me, Philippians 3, we've already studied earlier in the chapter, I now consider a loss. Yes, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Yes, I was a Pharisee. Yes, I was circumcised the eighth day. Yes, according to the outward keeping of the law, I was blameless. But those things that I thought were so important, I have now put in the loss category. Forget it. It doesn't matter. It didn't earn me anything. It, It actually alienated me from God. It made me proud past accomplishments in the flesh. Without Christ, past mistakes in my life, forget it. We have a famous saying in our family. My mom will say, forget about it. And you got to say with a little Italian angst, forget about it. (laughs) Y'all, forget about it. Some of you The devil keeps bringing up your past. You keep sitting there in the past mistake. And it's like you can't even forgive yourself. You've got to move on. You've got to press on. If that thing is weighing you down, move on. If a past accomplishment outside of Christ, or even some memories of your life before you were a Christian, that really don't have any good bearing on your life today, leave it behind you. And instead Stretch forward, reach forward. Here, the idea is of the tape at the finish line. It's uh, have you ever seen this before? They'll have a race, and one runner, almost like a photo finish, will just stretch their neck out at the very end, and they'll win by a hair. This is the Greek of the text. Forget what lies behind and stretch towards the tape. That's the athletic illustration. There's a story of the Miracle Mile way back in the day, Uh, Floyd Bannister against uh, an Australian guy, his name uh, escapes me, uh, starts with an L, but the story of the Miracle Mile, two men on the earth who both ran sub four-minute miles, under four minutes, raced one another, and the race was extremely close until one of the runners in the final leg looked back, and when he looked back to see where his opponent was, his opponent past him. That's the lesson of the miracle mile. Here's Paul's illustration. Don't look back. Don't focus on the past. Stretch forward. Keep your eyes on the goal. The great Richard Baxter was asked, how have you managed to be so productive in all your years as a believer, given all that you have suffered? He lived till he was 76. He responded, did Baxter. I think about heaven for 30 minutes a day. You, you're asking me? Here's, I'll tell you what has made the difference in my life. Every day I think about heaven for a half an hour a day. George Mueller, he talked about the beginning of his day. George, what's the secret to you praying in faith for these uh, orphanages and all of that? George Mueller says, my first business every morning is to get my heart happy in the Lord, close quote. These are the ones that have run before us, brethren. And they were living in difficult times with difficult circumstances and difficult challenges. George Mueller often sat at a table and prayed over food that wasn't there. And he said, my first business every day is to get my heart happy in the Lord. Oh Lord, I say with as spoiled as I am, forgive me for not having the same attitude that was also in Christ Jesus. Amen? More could be said, but I think you get the point. We, we leave the past behind us, the things that don't have any fruit in remembering, and we press on. Don't you know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? 1 Corinthians nine twenty four. Run in such a way that you may win. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, the broken down walls, and it came about. It was reported in Nehemiah 6, 1 through 3 to Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, that it had no breach remaining in it. Although at that time I had not set up the doors of the gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent a message to me and said, Come, let us meet together in Kepharim, in the plain of Ono, But Nehemiah says, they were planning to harm me, and I sent messages to them, and I said, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should I stop the work while I leave and come down to you? If you want an answer to your invitation to meet you in the valley of, oh no, here's my response. Oh no, I won't go. Do you get the point, brethren? I'm rebuilding the walls here. I'm doing a great work. I am not going to be distracted, especially knowing that your goal is to harm me. Oh no, I'm not breaking stride. Oh no, I'm not going back there. Oh no, I won't go. I'm running a race, and I'm going to run in such a way that I may win. You see, I'm pressing on verse 14. We'll move quickly through these last few verses. I'm pressing on toward the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, what do you mean? Well, he repeats the idea that I'm pursuing, and then he talks about this prize, middle of 14. The word in the original language is a prize in the public games, an award given to the victor or the winner of the game, a prize. But what is this business of an upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Back in Paul's day, they They would run the races and all of that, and then they would have judges, like of athletic contests, who would be on a bema. A bema seat was an elevated uh, platform for judges of court cases, but also for athletic competitions. And a winner of a game, the winning athlete would approach the bema and receive an upward call from the judge. The upward call was simply to come up on the bema, the elevated platform. They might say something like this, come up here. That's what Jesus is going to say one day to us. Come up here. And then what would happen, you can think back to our Olympic Games, usually an athlete will bow and get a medal placed around their neck. Back in the day, the athlete would come up, receive the upward call, and the judge would place a crown, back in Paul's time, a wreath of flowers placed on the head as a Sign that you were the victor. On special occasions, commentators have pointed out, in Rome, the emperor himself would be at the games, and the winning athlete would receive an upward call to the bima, where the emperor of Rome was, and he himself, on special occasions, would award the athlete with the wreath or the crown of flowers. Paul, going from the lesser to the greater, says, on that day. I'm going to receive an upward call. and This is what my eyes are on. But it's not going to be the emperor of Rome. The one that's going to give me the upward call is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he's going to say, Paul, you can put your name there. Well done. This is 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Listen to it with this image in mind. He, Paul says, This is 7 and 8. 2 Timothy 4 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And all God's people said, Yes. You mean to say that when I get there to the finish line, the judge of all the earth is going to give me a crown? And say, well done. I am saying to you yes on biblical revelation. Yes and amen. And it may be that we lay the crown right back at His feet. I don't know. It really doesn't matter. But when I hear the words, well done. You ran well. Here you go. Here is your reward. I'm telling you, that thrills my heart. And I'm telling you, that is the prize that our eyes got to stay on. Amen? Amen? This is how you run, brethren. This is how you run with endurance through the tough times the ups and downs final two verses so what do we do let us therefore as many as are perfect or you could say mature have this attitude this whole series we've called have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ here's here's the application here's the therefore in light of what we've learned let's have this attitude and if in anything you have a different attitude God will reveal that also to you. So let's say you're called to have this attitude of keeping your eye on the prize, but let's say you've been distracted. Let's say that you've been off course. Then you got to pray something like David. Here's the prayer. Oh Lord, search my heart. And if there's anything in my heart that's a stumbling block, that is an obstacle, that is not pleasing to you, eradicate it so that i can live a life pleasing to you search me o god and the way that god reveals things to us of course primarily is through the scriptures through the preaching of the word of god but sometimes he'll give us a nudge sometimes we'll have a sense from the holy spirit that we need to redirect man that we've been pulling other people down that our eyes are off of jesus that we're off the track maybe we're way over here somewhere and if Paul says to the Philippian church, look, if that's the case, if you have, you've had a different attitude lately, well, if God's revealed something to you, then let it search your heart and redirect your steps. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Here the idea of keep living, single Greek word, stoicheo. It has the idea of military ranks, and here's how Paul closes the teaching. It's, it's it's something like this and remember you're not running alone. If you look to the left and to the right there's other brethren encouraging you to run with endurance, inciting you to love and good deeds. You're not alone. Keep running. Keep staying in rank with the church. Run together. I loved last week with Bait Shalom. It was so much fun to see you guys break out of your comfort zone. And we danced a little bit around the sanctuary. And we're like, yeah, yeah. Is this okay? A couple of people were like, is this okay? I think it's okay, because Pastor Michael's over there. <laughs> yeah. And it was cool, wasn't it? Yeah. And, I, and I tell you what, that whole week I ran a little bit easier. My feet were a little lighter. Amen. That's what fellowship does. That's why you gotta not try to be a solo runner. You run with other Christians. You, you give and you receive and you look toward the finish line. Turn over to Luke 17 and we're done. As you turn, I'm gonna ask uh, Johnny and Luis to come on up, Luke 17. I know there's a lot of crazy things going on in our world right now. Some are asking, are we in the last days? I honestly can tell you I'm on storm watch. I don't know. Uh, but I do know that there's a lot of interesting, interesting, things that are going on that we just need to be vigilant and aware. Jesus talked about his second coming, and he said these words. This is Luke 17, verse 28. He says, it was the same, Luke 17:28 28, as happened in the days of Lot. He's talking about his second coming. They were eating, Luke 17, 28. They were drinking. They were buying. They were selling. They were planting. They were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man, Christ, is revealed. On that day, let not the one who's on the housetop and whose goods are in the house go down to take them away, Likewise, let not the one who's in the field turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus, what do you mean, we might ask? Well, what did she do? The angels were trying to pull them out of town, and Lot's wife, so attracted to the world, she looked back, probably got caught up in the fire of the judgment because she didn't flee. We are in interesting times, and it is very important that we stop looking back and we keep our eyes on the prize. Amen? Amen. The Lord Jesus at the finish line, cheering us on. God is not against you. He is for you. You are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. Keep running.